This is Words That Move Me, the podcast where movers and shakers like you get the information and inspiration you need to navigate your creative career with clarity and confidence. I am your host, Master Mover, Dana Wilson. And if you're someone that loves to learn, laugh, and is looking to rewrite the starving artist story, then sit tight, but don't stop moving, because you're in the right place. Holy smokes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends, and literally family. This is a good one. I'm so excited. Uh, First of all, I'm Dana. This is Words That Move Me. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I am joined by my sister, Adrienne Wilson Mann. Do you go by Adrienne Wilson Mann or Adrienne Mann? Yeah, Adrienne Wilson Mann. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) We are sitting in my sister's office right now in Denver, Colorado. You are witnessing my first trip home since Christmas of 2019, and it is end of April 2021. I'm really, really excited to be here. Thank you for housing me and also being on my podcast. Thanks for being vaccinated. Yes. Super double fist pump. Um, okay, so, oh, we. she also has a dog named Hugo, who you might be, Hugo, you might be hearing from uh, later on in the episode. Um, okay, so this is sort of how it operates here at Words That Movie. I don't know if you've heard of the podcast or listened to the podcast, but all my guests introduce themselves. So you have this daunting task. Oh, wait, stop. Before we do anything, we celebrate wins. So I'll share a win, then you'll share a win, and then you, the listener person, will also get uh, to take the floor for a second and share a win. So start thinking about what that might be. Today, I am sharing that I dropped my niece off at school today, and I didn't mess up. We made it with like three minutes to spare. Um, Didn't speed, didn't get into a car accident, did get a little bit lost, but still made it. And I... I think I struggle with what I tell myself about how responsible I am sometimes. (laughs) Um, I've talked on the podcast about uh, becoming a plant mom. I think I'm far from becoming responsible enough to be a human mom, but I did that thing today. Human got dropped off at school. Yes, you're a human, as a matter of fact. What's my human? Uh, What are you celebrating today? What's your win? My win is that I knocked a big item off my to-do list over these past couple days. I make the schedules for my group at work, and I just made 12 months of a schedule. And I wish you all could see it. I'm looking at it color-coded on the desk right now. It's beautiful. I don't know what it means. It looks like somebody sneezed (laughs) confetti squares onto a spreadsheet. That's what it looks like to me. Um, But congratulations. Thank you. That is a massive win. Uh, All right, now you go. What's going well in your world, listener type? Let's go ahead and get into this uh, episode, which is probably going to be many things because we are many things. Um, But a few that I want to be sure that we talk about, because you and I both grew up dance studio kids. Um, I still am very connected to the dance studio world via convention circuits and whatnot. But you are a bona fide MD. You are a doctor and you've got big, big life 
and death type responsibilities. Um, and I want to talk a, bit, a little bit about how dance prepared you for that, for a career in medicine. I want to talk about time and money management and thought management and how those are actually the same thing. And also I want to talk about this notion that dance saves lives. So this is a pretty, our plate is quite full. Flow. Our plate is full. Our plate is full. Um, I'm excited about this, but okay. Now we get to the introduction part. Introduce yourself. What do you want us to know about you? And then we'll do all the lofty things that I just said we talked about. It's a lot. Uh, okay. So I am, let me see. So I'm Adrian. I'm a mom to Amelia and Charlotte. I'm a wife to Scott, who's also in medicine. I'm a physician. I take care of veterans and I'm a teacher. I'm an educator. I work with residents who are training to become internal medicine doctors. And one of my roles is in um, coaching and helping them become the best versions of themselves. The end. Bye. See you later. I'm tearing. <laughs> I'm so proud of you and all the awesome things that you become. I remember growing up in the house on Waco Court in Aurora, which is a suburb of Denver. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> That's a Wayne's World reference. Shout out if you caught that. Um, and I remember you watching ER. George Clooney at the time. Oh, yeah. Like we watched ER. That was one of our family traditions. And you were so into it. And you talked about like wanting to become a doctor. Um, is that really what it was? And is that what got you through med school? Like this idea of what it is to be a doctor as seen on TV? Yeah, I think definitely ER, but then I was obsessed with Dana Scully from the X-Files. Yeah. And I thought really that I would probably be a physician FBI agent and maybe also do like um like level four biohazard research was the other thing. I thought I was gonna be, you know, treating Ebola. I remember you loved yeah. the book, The Hot Zone. Yeah, I was into it. At that time I think that was the largest book I had seen. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. But I thought I thought that that was possible for me and I could envision myself doing any of those things. I love that. So cool. Do you, Hugo's do excited you, about Hugo it too. Hugo is really supporting you from from the background <laughs> from downstairs. Do you need to go figure figure out whether is he, he okay? He's good. No, he's not good. Hold on. We're Pause. Pausing. And we're back. Um, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> uh, that was the, the crew who's going to come and mow our lawn this year and help yes. us to take care of uh, the, the exterior. And the dog was letting us know that they were here. Yes. I was welcome. grateful for the alert. Good job, Hugo. Um, okay, so that actually might be a beautiful segue to one of the things I wanted to ask you. So you are a full-time physician. Yes. You are a mother of two. Yes. You are starting your own business, which is kind of tied to the hospital in some ways, but you're, you've started a coaching program. Yes. Right now I'm coaching physicians. Okay, great. So sorry, dance types. That's a pretty full plate. And if there's one thing that I've learned from being home for a couple of days, it's that you might schedule and calendar your day to the minute. And almost certainly that's not going to happen like as it is on the page. Your schedule will not work the way that it looks on paper, which is honestly kind of embarrassingly not the way it is in my world, hmm. at least for the last year, which is not the average year, which is not, you know, it's hard to compare. But I really got very used to being the designer of my day. And then if it didn't work out, it was because of me, not because of anything else. So I'd love to hear how you manage your time and how you manage your mind around time, 
being a person whose life is very full, um, because I know a, a, a lot of people listening come up against this idea of like, I have so much to do and not enough time. Yeah. Uh, part of that for me has been really holding myself accountable to making a realistic plan for my day. I think I'm a recovering over committer and, um, I used to just make a to-do list that was probably 15 items longer than I could reasonably, reasonably get done on a normal day, even if I didn't have two kids and all the other things. So I think what I've really done is I've tried to say like, what are the three things I need to get done today? If I can get three things done, that's a good day. And the rest of my day will get filled with other things that are also important to me, but may not be, you know, accountable for in 15 minute increments. Mm -hmm. Reasonable sized bites. Yeah. Like if it's, I need to get groceries, I need to write up a paper that I'm working on or make 11 months worth of a schedule, make a schedule. Like I can, I can, that's probably a lot. Yeah. We might uh, <laughs> delegate the groceries to someone else. Right? Yeah. And okay. I, I mean, I think the other thing is I used to just like have this to-do list that would just roll over every day was the stuff I didn't do yesterday. And that to-do list was so like, I was never, ever going to catch up on that to-do list. And so part of it was, it's not only being realistic about what can logistically be done in my day, but getting really clear on what things I needed to do and what things I didn't need to do mm -hmm. and why am I doing them and who am I doing them for? Are you familiar? I forget the name of the guy who gave this talk. I'm pretty sure it was a Harvard business school talk and guy talks about instead of a to-do list, he maps his tasks in quadrants, quadrant one, two, three, and four. Is this familiar? I haven't no, I haven't done that. Quadrant quadrant one, imagine top left is important and urgent tasks. The next one to the right is not urgent, but also important tasks. Yeah. Below number one here, bottom left is um, urgent, but not important. And then the fourth quadrant is not important and not urgent. Yeah. So what most people do is they do the urgent things first, quadrant one and quadrant two. Quadrant three, which is important, but not urgent becomes urgent and important because people don't ever get to it. Yeah. I think this is an episode in and of itself, but I like that approach of like keeping the important and urgent things down to like three task items. Yeah. And you just do that. And then you tackle important things next, even though, even if they're not urgent so that they don't become that way and, and then delegate and manage your time around the rest of it. Yeah. Okay. But that doesn't speak to like what happened the other morning. You walked into the girl's room and you found a wet bed <laughs> So we had a peed, peed bed and then we had peed stairs moments after that. So you had was a rough morning. two unexpected circumstances in the middle of a really already tight morning. Yeah. So what is going through your head? How did you manage that day? And how we, it worked by the way. Not great. No, I, I was pretty stressed out all morning. I mean, you know, my kids are old enough that they're not having a ton of accidents, but it happens sometimes. And this morning just happened to be a morning where we were already a little late getting up and then both kids needed a bath before we got in the car 45 <laughs> minutes later and I had a meeting uh, coming up and it was tight. I mean, I was pretty stressed out. I I had no idea based on your like volume or tone of voice and language that we were in any tight spot. When I By the time I got over here in the morning, I just thought it was a normal morning. Oh, nice. Come to find out we had double pants pee and we're late, but. Well, I mean, it wouldn't have helped at the moment for me to freak out about it. I guess I've gotten a little bit better around um, managing my energy, spending my energy on being angry or frustrated or totally overwhelmed wasn't going to help me get out the door and move mm -hmm. on with my day. So 
Okay. Let's segue then into some thought management stuff. Yeah. So you're a certified coach. Yes. And how was it that you came upon your coach and, and got into this idea of, of coaching? Yeah. Thanks. Um, so let's see, I had my first kid right at the end of my medicine training and then a second one short after early when I had started my first job. And, um, I, both of my pregnancies were tough and that's a story for another time, but I ended up at the end of my second pregnancy really, um, overcommitted at work and really stressed out and I pretty depressed. I was like, I think I was pretty depressed for my entire second pregnancy and, um, I just wasn't doing well. I was eating way too much and, um, didn't really have the skills I needed or the tools to cope with a lot of change in my life, in my health and, um, in my daughter's health, cause she was born premature. And so we had some time in the hospital and I, um, was really depressed. And so I got on an antidepressant and then also, um, hired a coach and I hired a life coach who specializes in women physicians who wanted to lose weight. I had gained a lot of weight over the course of baby number one and then IVF and then baby number two and being really depressed. And so I wasn't really happy in my body and I, I wasn't happy in my mind. And so I heard a coach and, um, check out weight loss for busy physicians. That's Katrina Ubell's podcast. And she blew my mind. Yo. And then she blew my mind too. Yeah. I remember distinctly getting off the phone with you one day and I was like, yo, something has changed. What, what are you doing? Like, I'm thinking like I, this is some, maybe some, I don't know, it's a shift in your life. And you were like, oh, I've been listening to this podcast. It's called Weight Loss for Busy Physicians. I was like, excuse me? You're like, Weight Loss for Busy Physicians. Uh, see if we can say that one more time in this sentence. So anyways, I started listening to the podcast and I became a busy physician. God damn it. I was like, I am all in. And surprisingly, I think there are several, several overlaps between my career and or, or yeah. a day in the life of a dancer and the day of the life of a doctor, not at all saying that dance saves lives or does it, but really unusual work hours, sometimes very late into the night, essentially being on call. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know today that I'm going to have an audition at four in the afternoon, just like I don't know that I'll be scheduled to wrap at 10, but we're going to go over six hours. So I found a lot of things in common between dancers and doctors, and I got a lot from weight loss for busy physicians, even though I'm obviously not one. Um, okay. So yeah. back to Katrina became your coach yep. and then what happened? Um, I realized that I was living a lot of my life, um, without taking responsibility for my own emotional and physical well-being. Oh yes. I guess that's the simplest way to put it. Yes. Um, and using food as oh, punishment yeah. and reward. Yes. Like that's how we grew up. Yeah. 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 You do good on a test you or after the it. convention, we're going to Dairy Queen. You deserve it. Yeah. 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 So, so on so many different ways, like in my work, in my relationships at home and in my interpersonal and interprofessional relationships, in so many ways, I was not acting from a place of emotional maturity or adulthood. And even though I'm a high functioning person who gets stuff done, like the experience of that for me was a lot of times, uh, challenging, uncomfortable, and really stressful. And so what I learned from Katrina is that I was creating that for myself. And so I uh, did Katrina's program about, I think I did three times. And I knew in the middle of the first time going through her six-month program that I wanted to be able to offer a program like that for women resident physicians um, 
in a way that's free of charge to them because it was super expensive for me to go through. And I thought, uh, this is something I needed and this is something your community needs, my community needs. And so this is the way I can serve um, women in my profession who we know burn out at a rate that's faster than men and um, that has effects that linger into their early professional careers. And so um, I partnered with a dear friend, also a coach, Dr. Tyra Feinstad, and we have created a coaching program for women resident physicians. And that's what we're working on now. How did you, how were you able to pull that off for free for the residents? Um, well, right now we're doing a pilot program. And so we recruited um, women who train with us at the University of Colorado. And um, we have small grants to fund a little bit of our time and to fund the development of our website and our program. And we're, we're studying to see the effect of the program on resident well-being and burnout. I remember you writing your application for the grant. Yeah. You I was so stressed out. <laughs> so that was way outside my comfort zone. You know, I never thought like, I love taking care of patients. I love teaching, but I never saw myself as a a uh, person who wanted to do research or who wanted to apply for grants or do that kind of work. And it, it was really uncomfortable for, I mean, I have a whole lot of uh, thoughts around what people are going to think about me. What if they think this project is stupid? What if I'm not a good enough writer? What if I didn't, you know, what if this is totally. What if I forget the next step? What if yeah. I mess up my Forte turn? What if I yeah. roll yeah. out of my heels? What if they think my outfit is stupid? What if everybody sees? What if everybody yeah. sees me look like. A fool. A fool or a, a beginner, like a non-competent, non-professional person. You know what's so funny about that? I am a beginner at this. Like I was a beginner at writing a grantee. I was like, what, you know, what if I'm bad at this? Of course, like I've never done that before. I imagine that the parallel I'm drawing there is, is auditioning or interviewing. Mm -hmm. You're presenting yourself in a sense. You kind of have to have to be a little bit of a salesman, yeah. which I think leaves a bad taste in a, a lot of people's mouths because we've all encountered the smarmy salesman. Um, well, no, and we have been conditioned that humility, I think, especially as women, like being humble and not being a salesperson uh, is, is preferred and is virtuous. And I think that um, I know I experienced discomfort with putting myself out there because uh, I don't want to be too proud or too, I mean, I've done a lot of work on this since then, but yeah, I mean, it's like, do I deserve to take up this space? Like, who am I to take up this space? <sighs> That's big stuff. Yeah. I had an acting teacher once who talked about the word humble uh, and the root of this word, humble or humus or hum, hum something. Mm. <laughs> uh -huh. Hum diddly hum um, as meaning of the earth or of the ground. And sure, yeah, we could look on being grounded as virtuous as well. But he said, is on the ground where really where you want to be? With people stepping on you, with people cleaning their shoes off on the mat that you have laid beneath their feet. And no, that, I think not. It changed my perspective about the word humble, and I no longer sought that out. Mm. I figure, I honestly, that was something I already did well. And this is one of those strengths overused become a weakness thing. Yeah. So somebody tells you once that you're, oh my God, I just love you because you're so humble. Like you've done all this great stuff and yet you're not a, you're not cocky. You're not arrogant. I just love how humble you are. And you're like, oh yeah, I can be humble. Watch how humble I can be. <laughs> and then it does not wind up like, being Let me just like every com compliment I've ever gotten. Exactly. Okay. You mentioned something about women have a tendency to burn out faster in medicine. 
is there research on that? How do you know that? Yeah, do, I mean, what do you, we know that women hypothesize as to why that is. Enter medical school as fifty or more percent of the uh, people seated in a medical school class, and they enter residency at the same rate, roughly fifty or slightly more. But um, after that, and in early career, women tend to leave medicine at a rate that's faster than men, and in leadership positions, women remain dramatically underrepresented. Um, I'm, I, I'm speaking about women, but that same thing is true about other people who are underrepresented in, in medicine. Okay. And what do you think is the solution? What's the resolution? So, I mean, my personal experience with this was that in early career, I was overcommitted and I had a huge desire to please everybody. And I was overcommitted in all domains of my life. And that was, that did not help me succeed. And I think that um, because women in medicine tend to have children in their early career, and that tends to, I mean, it requires you to spend less of your time doing things at work for many. Um, so I think it makes it hard. And that's a time where many women face, face a decision like, where is my time going to be spent at this point in my life? And I think it's hard for women to return to the workplace in medicine, especially to reach those higher echelons of leadership and other positions um, when they've had to, or when they've chosen, they haven't had to do anything, but when they've chosen to take time away. And so I struggled a little bit with that, stepped back from some of the leadership work that I was doing um, while I kind of reset and redefined my own expectations of myself and what I wanted. And just the act of defining for myself what success looks like personally and professionally has allowed me to re-enter and remain in this workspace. And go above and yeah. beyond, like over-delivering in some areas. Um, but I remember you as being an overachiever. <laughs> what does that even mean? What does that even mean? It means that traditionally straight A's are a good thing. And you went for straight A's in the International Baccalaureate program, <laughs> and plus 40 hours a week at a dance studio, plus plus your X-Files on the side. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Is, is believing and overachieving unhealthy? Oh, that's so interesting. I, I'm remembering. So I think there's a difference between healthy striving and perfectionism. And I think that what you're getting at is... Like, what is the point of me being an overachiever is, and I, I'm not even going to use that word overachiever because I'm not sure that we have a clear definition. Like, Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Let's, that yeah, let's, let's define shift. it. Let's shift. But um, for me, I think the idea, and Brene Brown talks about this the best, but she says basically that perfectionism is the 20 ton shield that we carry around. And it's the thing that says, if we're, if we look perfect, if we do everything perfectly, if nobody can see any of the cracks that that then we can avoid the uncomfortable feelings of, you know, blame, guilt, shame, and all of those things. And I think for many people, and I include myself in that, the like pursuit of perfection becomes avoidance of those uncomfortable feelings mm. and active avoidance. That is problematic. That was problematic for me because trying to be perfect in everybody else's eyes without defining what acceptable even was in my own um, left me pursuing everything at a hundred miles per hour with no rudder, you know, like with, with really very little direction. Now, what is healthy striving and how is that different from perfectionism? I think of healthy striving as like, what is, um, what is the end goal of that? I mean, the end goal of it is 
my own personal growth, my own personal fulfillment and my connection and relationships at work and my connections and relationships at home, that is much more easy to achieve if I know what it is I'm looking for. Right. Instead of looking to the outside to define it for me. I'll give an example. I did a an Instagram poll on this one time, but um, I have a drawer in my fridge that I like to organize with like the sparkling water and I had organized it um, in color. So there was like all the different Le Croix, or however you pronounce it, Le Croix, Le Croix. Um, you know, sparkling waters and they had to be like in the right order. Of, like, had, yeah, they're in Roy <laughs> And I kind of asked Instagram, is this healthy striving or um, perfectionism? And it turns out like vast majority think that that is perfectionistic and not healthy at all. <laughs> they're not wrong. Like, what is the point? I used to get really snappy at my family if they didn't, you know, unload the, the sparkling waters in the right order. Wow. Yeah. So that, it turns out that wasn't good for me. I don't know, though. There's something to... I love it, though. I don't know if that's perfectionism or simply simple pleasures. I guess the question is, like, why does the snap happen? <laughs> it's like, I can really enjoy a color-coded thing. Thank you. But I might, I, I will likely not snap if, if, if someone's out of code. <laughs> oh, I was close. You were very close snap, to the snap. Um, okay, so I really encourage everybody listening to take that on as, like, a question for yourselves, what is the difference or what is your definition of achievement or overachievement? What is healthy striving and what is perfectionism? So, I mean, I guess the question is like, if I, in five years or you choose the time frame, how will I know that I've succeeded in this thing I've set out to do? Like, how will I know I've done it right? And you got to get really granular on that. Like, what what will that look like? Is that a number of items on your um, resume or your CV? Like, what how what is the definition? Or is it that you've grown and are no longer recognizable as the person you were before? Like, what are the actual results mm -hmm. specifically that will show you that you've been successful in your goal? Oh yes, that's a good one. Pause right now and answer that question. Do it. How will you know you have achieved? fill in the blank of whatever it is that you are interested in achieving. How yeah. will you know that you've done that? Yeah. Okay, we'll be right back. Last thing I want to ask, and this is kind of broad, and it this question sparked up in me years ago, and I've been kind of ha like letting it sit in the parking lot for a while. I've been wanting to talk to you about this. I was in New York City at some fundraiser event, and there were dance performances, there were famous speakers, big people in dance, big people in performing arts, all at this event. And every other person, it seemed like, that took the mic said, this work is saving lives. Dance is saving lives. Or dance saved my life. I am a living, breathing example that dance saves lives. And I'm a very proud, I'm, a, I'm proud of having multiple actually family members in medicine. Mm -hmm. And I do kind of reserve that, that whole life-saving thing um, for exceptional cases. But I, I wondered what you think about that as a person who knows dance intimately, yeah. who's experienced it in different modes, right? As a competitive dancer, um, as an adult who simply loves to move their body, um, as a teacher, mm -hmm. what do you think about that? Does dance save lives? I would never tell someone that it didn't right so if someone believes it saved them then it's saved them um my doctor brain is like but what does saving a life mean like what what all of us are here in this one life um right now this one that we're living and 
can dance change your relationship with yourself in this life or your relationship with other people in this life? I have no doubt. I mean, for me, dance taught me about connection. It taught me about connection with myself. Um, I mean, it seems a little cheesy, but like actually looking in the mirror every, like spending hours in front of the mirror every day for better or for worse. And I think when I was young, I didn't have, (laughs) I, I struggled a lot with that. Um, but I understand myself and I'm connected with myself in a way because of dance. Um, and then also in connection with people who I love, um, whether like, it doesn't matter the type of dance, like dance is social and communal and connecting. And that's the whole point. So one of my overarching goals in life is to increase connectivity and connection among human beings. Does dance do that? Yes. hundred percent. I agree. I cannot disagree. (laughs) I cannot disagree. So why, so why do my feathers ruffle up when I hear someone say that? Because I, we, I mean, we're on the tail end of a pandemic and Everybody was saying like, this is artists. This is like a call for artists. So this is when we'll see the best art. And I don't, I don't see any paintings that cured anybody. I don't. But what's your definition of the cure? So that. I Maybe, maybe to me, it's like, I think that dance and more broadly art make life worth living. Certainly more enjoyable, certainly funkier but way funkier save life it depends on your definition of saved right yeah we can get really nitty-gritty about the details like i'm not sure that but i'm not sure that's a good place to spend your mental energy like do you oh no it's that- certainly not no <laughs> which is why i've had this conversation in the parking lot not in the front of my mind but i mean i believe tremendously in the power of the mind-body connection. Mm -hmm. And to be totally honest, part of the reason I got interested in coaching is because even still part of me doesn't believe that the, the flow goes one way. Like thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to actions. On paper, I get down with that. I have seen somebody in this in a dance studio be blocked physically. And then by simply explaining it different, by giving them a new way to think about it, all of a sudden the physical thing becomes possible. I've seen mind be the gateway to body, mm-hmm. but I've also seen body be the gateway to mind. So I do believe that, that body and being physical, being dancing has tremendous life-changing power. Yeah. Like thought-changing power. I think that dance can help to change minds. Yeah. But I love it. I mean, does that save life? I still don't know what you mean by saving life. I don't either. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) But I mean, here's what I think. If somebody has cancer and you rub a blueberry on it, it won't go away. Just like if somebody has If you try Windex, (laughs) we're Greek. We're very Greek. Um, If just like, you know, taking a jazz class might give you that temporary dopamine hit. But it, I don't, I don't know if it saves your life. I'm really, you're struggling. I'm not getting my, I'm not getting my thoughts across. Well, and that's okay. This is a concept that I haven't been, I haven't been touching it because it makes me uneasy in my, my convictions, which are like dance is King. And I, I'm a dance, you know. Okay. So, but then why does that have to be the question? Can you stop asking the question? Why does this dance? Please, please. Yes. Does it change (laughs) lives? 
Right. Yeah, for sure. Ooh, yeah. Let's get rid of saving all. Thank you. Yeah, that's the problem. That's that's helpful. why you're blocked. That's helpful. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Ooh, I'm still resisting a little bit. Okay. Um, I don't know. Do people need saving? Period. No, what if we are all exactly 100% what we're supposed to be right now? Sweating from my left pit profusely. That's exactly how I am right now. And that is exactly it. how embrace I'm supposed it. to be. I will Accept embrace it. it. Thank you for, the, for that perspective shift. That was important. I really needed it. And I, as I was sitting in that seat several years ago, I was just like, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Maybe tangentially. But who decides if it saves their life? Them, not you. Ah, there it is. Breakthrough. So is having this conversation pointless? No, no, it, no. Having a conversation with you is never pointless. <laughs> Even if it goes in circles. <laughs> well, thank you for talking to me about that. I think it's important. I'll probably have more thoughts to follow up and, and share. I can't wait. I think what you do is incredible. Thank you. Yeah. I think what you do is incredible. Thank you so much. That's kind. I think you're doing a, a really good job. You're one of the bravest people I know. <gasps> Thank you. What makes someone brave? <sighs> a willingness to put themselves out there mm -hmm. and to stand with your back straight and holding yourself up. I don't mean that anatomically, but I kind of do. <laughs> my back is usually pretty straight, but my shoulders sit quite high. <laughs> I'm saying that like, I have struggled to put myself out there. I mean, I, it's a thing that is still hard for me to do and it requires deliberate practice. Mm -hmm. And it's not something, um, that comes naturally or easy to me. And I'm sure it doesn't come naturally or easy to you, but I think you're brave because you do this, you do this work and you do so many things that touch so many people and you have your own back while you do that. And I think that that's beautiful. Thank you, Sissy. I think that you're beautiful. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Is that kind of self-satisfying self when I say that? Because we're related and we do kind of look alike. <laughs> I think we're great. <laughs> I think we're great. Um, and I think all of you are great as well. Thank you so much for listening today. Um, and I hope that you go out there and have your own back. Um, and I also hope that you keep it very funky. Keep it funky, friends. Yes, you know the tagline. I love that. All right, everybody, I'll talk to you soon. Me again. Wondering if you ever noticed that one more time almost never means one more time. <laughs> well, here on the podcast, one more thing actually means two more things. Number one thing, if these words are moving you, please don't forget to download, subscribe, and leave a rating or review because your words move me too. Number two thing, I make more than weekly podcasts. So please visit thedanawilson.com for links to free workshops and so, so, so much more. All right, that's it now, for real. Talk to you soon. Bye.